Welcome back to Divorced and Done. I'm Rob Woodward, joined by Darren Schmidt. We're divorce lawyers helping you navigate the six divorced and done steps to move through your divorce quickly and efficiently without bankrupting yourself emotionally or financially. Everything we talk about in this podcast is for your information, but it is not legal advice or legal opinion of any kind. Darren Schmidt, how you doing? Woo! I am good, Rob. It's Saturday. How are we feeling? How many ice we, creams are we having today? Let's go. We, we try and limit the uh, ice cream consumption, just like uh, all the other sugars. I know you're a big fan of the Swedish berries. I'm a big oh, fan yeah. of really anything else with the sugar in it. And then I think about, you know, diabetes and getting older and all those wonderful things. Um, but we, we don't need to talk about the yeah, sugar. Yeah, we do. We need. Yes. Hold on. Yeah. You went and bought ice cream for your office. And now you have a freezer full of ice cream. Uh, and I, I, I was I, so I, excited to hear this. And I was like, if I was you, I was going to, I would eat the whole freezer of ice cream. And you're like, no, I can't do that. I get an ice cream headache. And just as a side note, someone yeah. else also talked to me about this ice cream headache. And I thought, is that a brain freeze? No, apparently it's just, you have so much sugar that you have like a, like a meltdown, like a, not a, not like you're, you're, you're having a meltdown like a child, but you're just, your body's like, no. And you so, said you had this. By way of background, uh, as a promotional event in our office, I'm in an office building. It's a low rise, not a high rise. There are four floors on our building. And there's probably, I'm going to guess, at least 20 other offices in that building. There's other lawyers. There's psychologists. There's financial planners. A host of professionals. And we sort of said, you know, we're all back to work from the pandemic. Let's meet our neighbors because you don't, you sort of see people in the elevator, but you don't really talk to them. And my idea was let's do ice cream day. We're going to spend like a hundred bucks on ice cream at the grocery store. I'm telling everyone exactly what I did. Went to grocery store, went to the Safeway, uh, the Hagen Dawes, the the Magnum, Magnum, yeah. Yeah. Magnum, uh, the, uh, the Klondike bars were all on sale. So those things that are anywhere from three to um, some ice cream sandwiches, like eight per box, were five bucks a box. So I bought 26 boxes of ice cream treats. Yes. And popsicles and other things. And I think we had a good event. I'm going to say we probably had about 20 people show up. But 20 people showing up with 26 boxes of ice cream treats and we weren't handing people boxes of ice cream treats they were open so it was like have one or two which of course we were glad to means there were many boxes left over uh and as you and i discussed on the phone and i'm embarrassed to put on the public record here i probably had from noon to five o'clock i'm gonna say six or seven ice cream treats uh, at the office, being social, and I phoned you Friday night, and I didn't have a headache, but I felt like ice cream drunk. And I remember we were talking. <laughs> you and I normally have more substantive phone calls, and you sort of said, uh, "I'm going to let you go now, bye," because clearly you're in no condition to be speaking, because you went and had a <laughs> little enough, ice cream sir. blackout. <laughs> That's exactly what it was, and. We had so much leftover ice cream in the office on Friday. Our, we have a freezer there. It was packed. I went and looked at it today. Most of the boxes were gone. So I'm assuming what? most of my colleagues took them home. There were probably four or five ice cream sandwiches left in the fridge. 
from the geez what's what's four times 26 so that's like a hundred and just under 130 uh ice cream treats were consumed okay well all i love all of this um because i was thinking with all the excess ice cream uh i'm coming out to calgary we were just talking about look um if anyone's interested in doing a meetup with rob and i in calgary if you're in the calgary area you can email us maybe we'll host something and i was thinking that'd be great be great to have everyone out to uh, maybe your office for like an ice cream if there was a box full of or a, a freezer full of ice cream. Just I'm just throwing that out there. We have no firm plans. That's almost um, in the divorced and done budget to buy a bunch of ice cream. If folks <laughs> want to show up and eat ice cream with us, because you now have 30,000 followers on TikTok. We get great engagement here on the questions. People like, hey, I want to come eat ice cream with you guys. Sure. We know, we know a third of our audience comes from Alberta, and yeah. we know that a number of you are probably listening from Calgary and area, and heck, somewhere near the end of June. If you're interested, let us know. Um, maybe we'll host it. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Um, Send us an email with the subject line, ice cream, to lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com or speakpipe.com slash divorced and done, and uh, we'll post about that. Jeez, we don't have a social, do we? I guess we have our website. We can put it on our website if we get a response on that. Great idea, Darren Schmidt. Okay. Uh, to that end, we are doing more listener questions this week. We've had a lot through the spring that we're sort of catching up on. So thank you to everyone that sent those in uh, in April and May. We're going to get to more of them today. We've gotten, we get most of our questions through our uh, Gmail account, lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com. We love those. Of course, as you said, Rob, speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. You can leave us an anonymous voicemail message as well. Let's go to question one. This is uh, apparently someone that likes me. Hi there, Darren. Hello. Love your TikTok content. Find it very helpful for myself and others and love to share it. Thank you for your efforts. Well, thank you very much for giving me your attention. That's uh, all I can really ask for. I'm in Northern BC. My ex-partner moved to Alberta, um, to a, sorry, to another province. It was capital A. I thought it was Alberta. My ex-partner recently moved to another province, did not file the appropriate paperwork. I will be doing that myself to obtain a court date and resolve all of this. The move is not an issue for me. I just recognize it is required for the process of family law. We have 50-50 custody, which is not really happening. Um, Sorry, this question's sort of choppy, Rob. I'm going to make the best of it that I can. Um, There was multiple investments, savings, and other assets. He's not paid any support because we can't settle on those. Um, He has significantly went down in his income from over $300,000 to $30,000, and his employer is his spouse. So there's some question about the authenticity of his reported income. My question is about audits. How do I go about getting a court to do a forensic audit? Can I request my ex pay for this? Uh, The whole point of requiring one is hidden assets and corporate fraud. Many thanks. Okay. I'm going to just kind of leap in at the start, Rob, just because this is a listener. And um, uh, I appreciate sort of the... um, um, choppiness of the question in one sense. We're trying to get to the point, but I think what's happening here is you've separated, you have minor children. He has moved to another province. You remain in BC. 
you're likely the primary parent of these children. You were upset that he didn't give you proper notice upon relocating to wherever he's gone. Um, but your primary question here is about what's his income for the purpose of calculating support and likely what are his assets for the purpose of dividing those family assets and debts. So firstly, I would say you're living separate and apart. That's step one of our divorced and done steps. So congratulations on that. Uh, it appears everyone is safe. So that also falls within step one of our divorced and done steps. So that's also accomplished. The second step is what's the parenting arrangement. So now that the ex-spouse uh, partner has moved, ex-partners moved to another province, what does that look like for your parenting time for your kids? It's unlikely there is going to be a shared parenting arrangement because you're likely living hundreds, if not thousands of kilometers from each other. So have you figured that out? Have you come to a consent order or an agreement on what that parenting arrangement looks like? If you haven't, then let's put aside your request for forensic audits, as you call them, and I'll get into that in a moment. You need to focus on what is the parenting arrangement going to be? Not last minute, oh, it's it's Thanksgiving and he's got a few days off. Maybe he wants to have some Thanksgiving parenting time and you're texting on the Thursday before the Thanksgiving weekend because you don't have something formalized. I don't want that. You don't want that. Likely your ex-spouse doesn't want that. So put the hard work in now to figure out what that parenting arrangement's going to look like now that he has moved to a new jurisdiction. Is he going to have those long weekends and some expanded parenting time through the summers when he can likely exercise that time? Put your mind to that and really focus on that piece. Secondly, after, well, the third step, but after that, you're going to be thinking about child support. So this is where you do need to know what his income is. <clears throat> So his income, you say, was at $300,000. Now he's reporting it at $30,000. And you say, I want to do a forensic audit. Well, we don't really do that in BC. The best you can do under our federal child support guidelines is ask to impute income to him. And it sounds like you would have a decent place to start on that argument is he used to make $300,000. Now he reports his income at $30,000. Why the drastic drop in income? Why did he have to move to the other province? What made all of that happen? Figuring that out and saying, well, he was making 300. Is it reasonable he makes 30? I think the, I mean, without knowing any more, that seems unreasonable. So um, you may have a good case to impute his income. You may not need to do any sort of forensic audit, as you call it. I mean, the word, those words forensic audit, I mean, that's a type of accounting procedure that you might do for a corporation um, under a business corporation legislation in a province. But I mean, in terms of family law process, that's not something that we do. So um, after you've figured out the parenting arrangement, you've either figured out what his income should be by consent or you haven't and you need to go to court on that piece, you would probably stand in a good position to make an imputation of income argument. But other than uh, other than that, Rob, uh, what are your additional thoughts? I completely agree uh, with everything you just said. One piece I pick up on here, because um, I didn't read it all. Uh, uh, can I request my ex to pay for the additional retainer or charges? Assuming she means if he has to engage experts or do other things. And too many times we see people that just get stuck in the weeds 
of one positional piece. As you've said here, a forensic audit, that's a specific term not necessarily appropriate here and certainly not a standard piece to our divorced and done steps. We work our steps and we develop them for people that don't want to go to court, that don't want to have an endless battle. And my concern for this listener isn't even the outcome of what's his income or what's happening here or is he hiding money. It's the notion that she, I think, is so amped up, wound up like a spring for this potential fight that's coming to say, you're a fraudster, you're hiding money in the company, Mm. there's tons of money, you're disclosing it. That's going to be the huge battle that, God forbid, she's not really necessarily present with her children, maybe not working through the other divorced and done steps in order, um, because by doing that, we know that you can build peace for yourself. You can be the best parent that you can be for your children. And by following them in order and working through them the way we've structured them, you will get a better outcome instead of just being focused on one narrow piece that may or may not be appropriate at this point in time in your divorce. Okay, well, thank you for the question. We wish you well, and we wish you calm moving forward as you uh, systematically and confidently move through the divorced and done steps. Let's go to question two. Uh, I'm going to leave out parts of this question, um, but it's not that it's not important. I just think that the I'm going to get to the crux of your question here. So the, the listener says, hello. Well, hello. Uh, when calculating spousal support, if a person owns a business as a sole owner, must they share tax or income information for their business with their former spouse as outlined by the courts, which is kind of an interesting question uh, because you state right in the question, must they do it as outlined by the court? So clearly you think that they must, and we'll get to that in a moment. The second part of this question is that this listener attended a judicial dispute resolution out of Alberta. That's a court of Queens bench process there. Rob knows all about that. Um, it's basically a a mediation process with the judge. And um, I believe this listener attended a binding JDR. Rob, I'll let you address that process in a moment. That's something we talked about on an episode a couple of episodes ago. Um, But one of the issues is that the um, ex-spouse, the opposing party on this, agreed to pay for extracurricular activities for the children. And uh, the listener has a question about, is the other party, the ex-spouse, obligated to pay for their daughter's university as an extracurricular expense. So uh, leaving out some other pieces of this question, there's really two questions. Number one is, is the ex-spouse owner of a business obligated to share tax and financial information pertaining to their business? And is that spouse obligated to pay for their child's university as an extraordinary expense? Rob, on those things, what do you think? Yes, on both points. Uh, let's keep it real tight. Uh, per a standard notice to disclose or uh, order to produce financial information under the Divorce Act or under our Family Law Act in Alberta, if you have more than a 1% share in a business or you're an, a controlling uh, owner of a business, you have to produce financials for that business, full stop. That's a standard production item. So if you're having difficulty getting those or he's saying, no, you can't see those pieces or they're limited, you have really good grounds to ask for fuller and further production of financials. 
When it comes to the question of tuition and university expenses, uh, we know that when children turn 18 or when they're going to post-secondary, there can be continuing claims for support, particularly Section 7s, which can include tuition, books, and costs of going to school. Darren, you recently did a really good case summary on this, and we've talked about this issue does come up quite frequently. Rule of thumb that I think is really good for separated parents, if children are capable of working, there's no disability or other things going on that would prevent children from working over 18. There's generally, it's understood that children will contribute to their own education, whether that means they're working and they're providing that money uh, as funds from their employment or they're taking out loans themselves. There will usually be some contribution from both parents but from the child as well, to move at least through that first degree. So can that be a live issue? Absolutely. Uh, and hopefully you and your acts can come to some agreement if all those pieces weren't filled in in a binding JDR, which is, as the name suggests, a binding mediation with a judge. Hopefully things got worked out through that process. And if not, you may have the opportunity to take matters before a court or back into another binding JDR. What are your thoughts, Darren? Yeah, just on the post-secondary piece, um, the question under the federal child support guidelines or provincial child support guidelines, if you're unmarried, which are, they're, they're the same thing, um, is always, is the child able to withdraw from their parents' charge? That's a threshold question that must be answered in order to determine if the child is still eligible for child support. And attending post-secondary schooling is, an, I mean, a, a very recognized instance where a child would be unable to withdraw from the charge of a parent. And it's been cited in numerous cases across Canada for uh, decades now. It's just well known that a child attending post-secondary school is uh, presumptively unable to withdraw from their parent's charge, particularly if they're living at home with the uh, with one of the parents during their post-secondary schooling. So um, if that's been the case here for your child listener, they've they lived at home and attended post-secondary schooling and your order from your binding JDR contemplated that your ex-spouse pay a portion of the section seven expenses, it would be probably an uphill battle for your ex to argue that this is not a proper section seven expense. Now if you're if your child left home and lived independently, it's starting to look less and less like they are unable to withdraw from their parents' charge because it looks like they're living independently, but I don't think that ends the analysis. Um, but you, as you say, Rob, it is expected and is often um, noted in cases and, and decided by courts that the child will be expected to contribute to their own post-secondary schooling. So what we see often is either somewhere between 25% to one-third of the total cost of the tuition and book fees would be um, allotted to the child that they front those costs themselves. And the parents to pick up the balance of it proportionately based on their incomes as a Section 7 expense. Now, just totally as an aside from this, uh, and I think you may have the answer, Rob, because I know you're a well-read guy and you think about these things. It's been a decade since we've been in law school, since we've been in post-secondary. I mean, what is a what is a four-year program undergraduate degree run someone these days at a Canadian university? I'm just I springing this on you. I don't, I, I don't believe, know. Um, <clears throat> and I'm going to 
there's no there's no praise and praise and laud our post-secondary institutions in this country Uh, because when you and i went to post-secondary initially for undergrad darren you and i were there at the same time uh i recall when i went it was approximately twenty five hundred dollars a semester for a full course load and about five to six hundred bucks for books so you were looking at about three thousand dollars a term six thousand dollars a year does that sound about right from when you went to undergrad I did my first two years at Medicine Hat College, right. so I did, wasn't I wasn't able to complete my degree there. I transferred to the University of Lethbridge to comp- complete my undergraduate degree, and I think Medicine Hat College, I want to say the twenty five hundred dollars was for an entire year. Oh wow! And the the okay. book costs you you quoted are about right. There's some ancillary fee, fees built onto that, like student funding and other bits and pieces that are added onto the tuition. But I want to say it was maybe those costs were maybe three, $4,000 total for the entire year. That's fantastic. So my understanding, um, when I last looked at this issue on a file and looked at sort of what it costs to go to school, you can do Canadian undergraduate education for about, as you just suggested in 2022, five to $10,000 a year. I think is still doable. So an undergraduate degree in Canada, four years of that, hopefully you're not looking at more than thirty to thirty-five thousand dollars in tuition and expenses to make all of that happen, especially for a first degree. Uh, you and I have talked about law school, which is a different kettle of fish and has gotten astronomically expensive since you and I were there only mm. eight years ago. Uh, in the United States, because you and I were both in the United States, I wouldn't say it is astronomically expensive. I would suggest it is prohibitively expensive, where the average cost of doing a law degree in the U.S. is about two hundred and twenty to $250,000 U.S., and that assumes someone's living generally frugally to make that happen. And the only reason I mention that is just to point back and say, even though, yes, we know inflation is going up and things are getting more expensive, undergraduate education in Canada is still a really good idea or still a really good deal, excuse me. And I'd say to all parents and students listening, if you can stay with your parents and live with your parents when you're going to undergrad particularly, not saying that it's an extension of high school, but if you can make that happen to keep your living costs down, uh, you'll be on such better footing than taking out loans to do an undergraduate degree, particularly if you're thinking about doing some um, graduate work of any kind, master's degrees whatsoever, because things just get way more expensive from there. All in all to say, undergraduate education in Canada is still a pretty good deal. Uh, and hopefully mom and dad here can sort of come to an arrangement with their child to make that first degree possible. Well, you could get a post-secondary degree in Canada. Or you could buy a half-ton truck. Sounds like a comparable class. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, and both, I would not say one necessarily totally outweighs the other. Um, education is important. <laughs> You and I both absolutely know the value of education and what we're doing, but there's nothing to say you couldn't get a truck and start a business, start a landscaping yeah, business, do construction, and just as quickly build something <clears throat> that would have value for you too and make a job. So that's not wrong either. 
Or you could spend it on your divorce, and we do not say you should do that, but we've seen so many people spend at least those types of sums for their divorce. And so uh, keep that in mind. Um, Anyway, as as a total aside on post-secondary thoughts or costs, thanks for those thoughts. Rob, let's go to our last question. Sure. Um, All right. The listener says, thank you for your TikToks and podcast. You've made my divorce so much easier. Well, that means the world to us. Thank you very much. But there's always a but. But separation agreement does not account for all the twists and turns of life. Absolutely not. This is the first year my ex and I are reassessing incomes for the purpose of child support. I thought it was simple line 150 of our income tax returns, but my ex moved to the U.S. in October and he has disclosed 109,000 U.S. dollars of income for last year, uh, in addition to his line 1500 amount, and mentioned he was given a one-time signing bonus as well. Um, I believe that it's his gross income in the U.S. plus his line 150 income, no deductions other than spousal support in this matter, um, I guess my question for you is how do we calculate the income for a payor in the U.S. and what sort of expenses can be deducted from their income relocation expenses? There is no notice of assessment in the U.S. I've asked for a copy of his tax return. I've not received it yet, but this I assume would be a reasonable request. Okay, um, so let's go into this, Rob. I'll just say this. Um, I don't know what his line 150 income is. The other parties, she doesn't mention it in this email, but we know that his income for last year was $109,000 US. At least the best that we know is that it is that because she doesn't have a tax return or comparable document from him in the US. Um, I think this starts with correct financial disclosure and from there moving into uh, determining what his appropriate income is under our federal child support guidelines. And I'm thinking section 19, but I won't put words in your mouth. You often have much better, different thoughts than I. What do you think? I completely agree with what you were just saying. Uh, Step number one is not speculating uh, about what might be or what could be and how we're going to do this on incomplete information. As one of our colleagues has said, financial disclosure is the bane of family law. And unfortunately, it continues again. And it's it's tough enough doing that in Canada with someone that doesn't want to play ball and produce their information. Now, unfortunately, you're re- reaching across uh, an international border into the U.S. But that doesn't mean the court here can't make orders for a dad to produce his information, including uh, a notice of assessment or equivalent document uh, from the IRS out of the U.S. for his tax return to verify his income for last year. As we always say, income is income, and the starting place is looking at your gross income on your personal tax returns. There are certain deductions that, of course, can be allowed, and depending on whether your ex is an employee, whether this is his own company, or however it's structured, there may be some deductions that he's entitled to that may or may not be applicable for the purposes of spousal or purposes of child support, which is why it's potentially important to talk to a lawyer here. But from the way you've sort of talked about it, there's a signing bonus, relocation. Sounds like he may just be an employee. And the easy answer may be assessing his income uh, and finding the appropriate date at which you're going to convert his income into Canadian dollars. That's important too. 
uh, whether that happens on December 31st of last year or how that date is determined. I'm not sure of that right off the top of my head, but you'd need to find the exchange rate at the right date for converting his income from U.S. into Canadian dollars before you can do those child support calculations. And then from there, once you have all of the income information, you know what deductions may or may not be live, then as we always say, income is income. And once you have someone's income, it's pretty straightforward in figuring out what child support they owe based on the guidelines. Darren Schmidt. I agree. And just as a total side note, you've mentioned your Australian Outback MEP enforcement Right. I love that And so um, just in terms of this, uh, the story was Rob found a guy. He actually flew down to Australia and physically found the payer in the middle of the outback. And he said, hi, I'm it Crocodile was, Dundee. Uh, it was MEP his, that did this. Not no, it was me. Rob. Rob flew down. Um, <laughs> Rob Rob went into the outback. He fought so many pythons, crocodiles, and other uh, strange animals to find this guy. No. We get it done. Yeah, we make things happen. <laughs> No, Rob, uh, Rob had a great experience with Alberta's MEP program, uh, finding a basically non-paying uh, father, I believe, of children that had an order made in Alberta. They were able to enforce it in Australia. So the fact that the other parent here may get an order made against them and they live in the U.S., you should rest easy knowing that there is reciprocating legislation with every U.S. state, as far as I'm aware. It may not be overnight, but uh, they'll, they'll find them they don't pay. So anyway, thank you for the question. Keep them coming. Lawyers talking about divorce at gmail.com speakpipe.com slash divorced and done. We really encourage those. We love hearing your voice. It's a way for us to engage with you in a little bit more of a richer format with you, the listener, your questions, power the podcast. And please let us know. Darren's coming to hang out with me at the end of June here in Calgary. If you want to have a meetup, go for an ice cream cone. Let us know. Send us an email. Send us a speak pipe saying, hey, I want to go for a drink. I want to have an ice cream. And we'll make that meetup happen. Darren Schmidt, thank you for being with me. I'm Rob Woodward. This has been Divorced and Done. We look forward to being with you again. <laughs>